from the creators who brought you the adventure of Aladdin and the excitement of the Little Mermaid comes a tale of mystery, suspense, and a great big adventure in The Great Mouse Detective. When a beloved toy maker disappears... Delightfully wicked. There's only one mouse for the job. That's the Baker Street, my good fella. Together with his trusty sidekick, <laughs> he's ready to crack the case. Your father is as good as fun, Miss Flamhammer. Flavisham. Whatever. But only if he can stop a... Slimy, contemptible sewer rat. Tricky and wicked, of course. The clues are in. Pencil of the case. The pressure is on. I'm right behind you, Basil. And the adventure is about to begin. To Buckingham Palace. <laughs> Say cheese. Smile, everyone. For the mouse who always gets his man. I thought I'd never find you. Elementary, my dear Dawson. The film Joel Siegel calls magic. And Siskel and Ebert give two thumbs up. Disney's animated classic, The Great Mouse Detective. Miss Flanchester. Flavisham. Whatever. This podcast is sponsored in part by Benjamin Hart. That's me! And yours truly, Zach Arnold. And by participation from listeners like you. So let's tune in to another episode of... IPC. 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 The Intergalactic Peace Coalition Podcast. All the galaxies, all for you. Why, hello there, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to the Intergalactic Peace Coalition podcast, also known as the IPC. And no, we're not talking about another DC movie tonight. I think we've I think we've gone over everything we could possibly go with DC movies. Obviously, we started with Superman, we went through all of his movies, we went on to Shazam. That was a lot of fun, but I think tonight we're going to switch gears a bit because we like to do that every so often to keep you guys on your toes and give you something different. And tonight is going to be no different in the fact that we're going to be going over the Disney universe for a little while to talk about something. As we teased last week, we wanted to uh, explore some movies that are, are, are perhaps underappreciated in the Disney universe. And this one is going to be quite an interesting one because I haven't seen it. I, this is my first time ever seeing it, and what's interesting is that the only rating on Disney Plus when you go to watch this movie is that it's G-rated, and it contains tobacco use. Um, so that should give you kind of an idea of like what we're getting ourselves into. There's no, there's no language, no anything like that. It's pretty clean, but uh, obviously we're going to get into it in just a minute, and I will reveal what we're going to be talking about. But first, introductions are in order if you are new to the show. My name is Ben. And joining me, as he almost always does, I don't know why I keep saying that. It really isn't a competition of who's here. Like, like you know, life goes on. Sometimes we're here, sometimes we're not. It's not a big deal, but it's just in my head. But I'm going to go ahead and introduce my good friend and co-host, Mr. Zach Arnold. Zach, what's going on with you? Oh, yeah. Life goes on long after the thrill of living is gone. You're welcome for that setup, by the way. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I saw that, and I, I couldn't pass up the opportunity. Uh, dude, I'm excited that we're we're doing this finally. I think it's something that we have teased for, like, over a year now is, like, this idea of 
underrated Disney movies, mm-hmm. and we're finally going to cover some of them. And I'm I'm really excited to be talking about this first one. It's a part of my childhood. I remember watching it on VHS when I was younger, and uh, and now we get to we get to talk about it on the podcast over 280 something episodes later, <laughs> finally talking about it. And uh, I'm excited. I'm excited that we're doing like a whole little story arc of it. You're right. DC is kind of done for now, shifting gears to something else. And, you know, there's a, there's a lot of really underappreciated Disney. But, I mean, you've got your Robin Hoods and your Peter Pans and your Snow Whites and your Cinderella's and even some of the, the, the other golden age of Disney, like uh, Little Mermaid, Aladdin, Lion King, et cetera, et cetera. There's a lot of really great Disney out there. But that does not take away from the other quality Disney that's been made that maybe just didn't do well with critics or didn't do well right. at the box office. But it's still a good movie. And the really cool thing is all of these movies are available on Disney+. Plus. So yeah. if if it's something that you haven't seen before, folks, get Disney+, Plus or just hop onto your Disney+, Plus account, and you'll be able to see it. So um, – that that's really cool as well. I'm I'm excited for this next story arc, particularly this movie we've got on tap tonight. Absolutely, and this is a movie that, as I said, I had not seen prior to this moment, and but you two guys have, and by you two guys, I of course mean Zach and our good friend Mr. Jake Damon. How's it going, man? It's going pretty good. I am a little tired tonight. I've had a pretty long day, but I think I. I'm energized enough to talk about this movie because it is a movie from my past, my childhood, much like Zach. It's one that I watched all the time. I don't think I watched this one on VHS. Actually, it was on DVD, but I, me and my brother both really loved this movie as kids. And I actually didn't even realize it was from the eighties. It looks like, uh, 86. Yeah. Which puts it a year after a year or two after, uh, um the release of back to the future which i think is interesting but um but yeah i it was interesting to revisit this i'm actually not sure the last time i watched this movie but it was definitely through different uh lenses like through the the lenses of a of a child watching a movie so watching a movie again as an adult for the first time since you were a kid it lends itself to some, you know, new interesting thoughts and feelings about the movie uh, or any movie that you watch that's like that. And uh, tonight we get to talk about whether it holds up or not. And Ben, you get to talk about uh, whether you liked it or not for the first time. Yeah. And without further ado, I should go ahead and say that tonight we're going to be talking about The Great Mouse Detective, as you said, from 1986. You know, I knew this movie wasn't new. But I didn't know it was older than me, so that was quite a shock. But, you know, it's just one of those things. And, and it's, what's weird is not only had I never seen this movie before, I don't think I'd ever heard of it. I, honestly, I don't think before Disney Plus I'd ever seen it. And I'm not someone who is sheltered from Disney. I grew up on Disney movies, The Fox and the Hound, Aladdin, you know, Aristocats, all those Aristocats. movies. Aristocats. Oh, yeah. That was Everybody one of my – I was obsessed with that movie. Like, that movie is fantastic. And a bunch of them. Like, I'm not, like, sheltered when it comes to that. And 
but somehow I missed out this one, and I'm sad that I did because it's great. It really is it's great. It's it's in the same vein as you know those old classic Disney movies that you know, like as I said, a lot of them were older than I was, but uh, they felt very popular and just you know we grew up on these things. This this was this was the thing to watch when you were kids. I I, I always said you know back when you know everyone was freaking out about uh, Disney buying Lucasfilm and buying Star Wars. I'm like, hey. Like, this is the two best things ever combining because I was a Disney fan before I was a Star Wars fan. So, like, this is near and dear to my heart. So, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm very, very, very much looking forward to talking about this, and it was a lot of fun watching it. Yeah, so let, let, let's start with just initial impressions because that's not something that you really get to have very often from a movie that released in 1986. <laughs> you know, very rarely do you have that opportunity to watch something through a brand-new lens for the very first time. Um, you mentioned it being from 1986. To me, the animation style looked even older than that. Like it mm-hmm. looked like mm-hmm. it looked like the Rescuers. Do you guys remember the Rescuers? Yeah, I, like, I, I remember it. Also, one I have not seen. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the animation style reminded me of like Aristocats and the Rescuers and movies like that. But those movies, I'm pretty sure, are quite a quite a decent a- amount older than the Great Mouse Detective. One thing you guys might find interesting about the animation style, though, is this is one of the first uh, recorded blending traditional animation with computer animation for a feature. Yes, the whole clock tower scene. I noticed that. I I noticed, Mm -hmm. like, because it completely changes when you get to that end sequence. You're like... Whoa! Yeah. This is this is impressive. Like you, because you, you you just know like, we've seen enough like that that tra- traditional like classic Disney animation to know like what they can do and what they can't do. And then it turns into like they're moving the camera around and it's all three D. Like whoa! This is crazy. Yeah, the movement and the shot selection and the angles and the depth, like everything, was very different inside that clock tower. It was a little jarring because you go from from like like you said, traditional 2D type animation to having a lot more depth with the gears and the clock tower. And you're like, whoa, they just took it up a notch. Yeah. Yeah. I, even as a kid, I remember uh, seeing that scene and just being like, whoa, this is this is pretty cool. It's like like I'd seen stuff like that in other movies before, but there was something about how it was done in this movie that really kind of added a whole new uh, sense of like depth and danger and uh and you know with the intended like the intended uh the intended tone for that scene is supposed to feel dangerous and and like if you make one wrong step you could be crushed to death and with the sound design in that scene and the the uh 3D animation i think that really lended itself to making it feel like how it was supposed to feel yeah it's funny how a lot of these early disney movies this kind of golden age stuff was like you see a lot of examples of early early like cgi because like famously the the magic carpet ride scene in at the beginning of aladdin where they ride mm. they're riding the the carpet out of the the temple and that's all cgi and it's like yeah. you can tell it's it's like if it's of course you watch the movie all like you don't really notice it but if you look at it you're like okay this is definitely different style of animation <laughs> there's all this stuff going on it's crazy um but you know that's the, I mean this is this is way back you know talking about 1986 um this is the this is primitive CGI primitive stuff but you know they were experimenting oh, yeah. I mean, it's it's just, it's just a bunch of gears rolling around in a in a, like a like a black background mm-hmm. but but think 
um, think of what it paved the way for. Like, mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. wildebeest scene in The Lion King. Oh, yeah. Was computer generated. Yeah. And that was, what, seven or eight years later? Something like that? Mm-hmm. So, in a very short amount of time, they took leaps and bounds with computer animation in a feature-length film. And, and, and I, it led to, I mean, it led to small things like what you're talking about. It also led to big things like, you know, Jurassic Park <laughs> and, like, yeah, making yeah. photorealistic, you know, CGI animals in a live-action film. Like, it was all stepping stones to get there. Um, crazy. Or, or an entire feature-length film that's all computer-generated, like Moana. Right. Yeah. And, and like, I just watched, uh, along with this movie, after it, I watched Toy Story, which is famously, oh, wow. like, the first yep. fully CGI animated film. And that, it's, a, it's oh, amazing. Oh. Yeah. It's amazing going back and watching them because, like, it still looks really good. And it was the first of its kind. Like, they were, that was pioneering what they were doing with that movie. And it was standing on the backs of, you know, what you see, you know, small sequences in, you know, The Great Mouse Detective. Um, you know, going going as far as doing that and really, you know, pushing, continuing to push those boundaries to where now there's CGI and everything. <laughs> you know, it's no big deal anymore. Yep, for sure. It was a pretty big thing in this movie. And, and speaking of this movie, let's go back to initial impressions, Ben. Like... Your, your thoughts on this film as a whole, not just the animation style at the, at the very end, but maybe the animation style throughout, the storytelling, the characters. You know, what did you what did you make from this 74 minute long feature length film? Not very long for a movie, no. just a little over an hour, but it packs a punch. Yeah, it's and that's what I first noticed about it. It's very tight. You know, it's not, you know, overly drawn out. It's not like, oh, what are we doing here? Like, everything in this movie serves the story, and that's that's what's to be expected, I think, from these old-school Disney movies. It's in the same vein as those. Um, and I really enjoyed it. Like, it's it's a really fun little rompy movie. Obviously, it's, it's, the, it's in the tradition of, uh, you know, a la Robin Hood, you know, taking a kind of classic story, in this case, um you know, detective stuff, and what's the guy's name? I, again, I'm failing at, at things, the... the um, Basil of Baker Street? Well, no, the guy he's based on, the, the whole detective... Oh, Sherlock guy. Holmes. Thank Sherlock you, Holmes. thank yeah. you. Like, one of the most, you know, iconic and uh, most uh, recognizable faces in, in literature, um, Sherlock Holmes. I couldn't think of the name. Um, Sherlock Holmes. Obviously taking Sherlock Holmes and putting it, not, not just Disney-fying it, but, okay, it's animals. Yeah. <laughs> it's really, if you think about it, bizarre, but it works so well because I love the whole world-building they do, especially in the early parts of this movie, that, you know, they're, they're, there's London and there's Mouse London. <laughs> And right. it's all this tiny version. You have, you know, these houses and whatever, and you go to Buckingham House, and of course there's a mouse queen, and, you know, it's all this stuff. And they all have mouse guards that are just exactly like the, the classic London guards. Like, it's great. And I love that whole dynamic and, you know, that this Basil of Baker Street, he's this famous detective, and he's literally, in one scene, working in the shadow of Sherlock Holmes, which is just fantastic. Um, so yeah, I really enjoyed it. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a throwback, obviously, and it's one that, like I said, when I saw it, it was like 1986, when it first came on, I'm like, okay, this is not new. This is not 90s. Like, this goes even further back. Like, you know, you've seen enough Disney movies, you know what era they're from, just from looking at the animation. And yeah, this was, this was great. I really enjoyed it. I can't believe I've missed it all these years. Yeah. 
so Jake, you mentioned that you kind of got some new perspective, perhaps, now that you've seen it as a grown-up as opposed to watching it as a child. How did that feel? Well, it it felt a little weird and like in some in some part, like I don't want to say disappointing, but it really put things into perspective for me because I like when I was a kid watching this, I think it might have been my first introduction or exposure to the concept of Sherlock Holmes, because I I remember watching this and seeing, you know, Mouse London and how how it would like kind of start off in the human world and you'd see like a silhouette of a figure in a window. And that was supposed to be like a reflection of what, like, even then I could tell that was a reflection of what Basil was and how, you know, it kind of put in spurts. And I think maybe my, my mom or something was like, Oh, this is like, it's happening at the same time that Sherlock Holmes is happening. And, and I was like putting pieces together like that and understanding it. And, and uh, that, that concept held up to me. I thought that was a fun way to do the story. Um, I think when I was a kid, I, things kind of went over my head, like connecting some of the story uh, elements together, like how the the girl's dad is a toy maker. And so he is kidnapped to make these machines. And, and now as an adult, I fully understood everything and how it all connected and stuff. I mean, it's really not that hard to grasp, I guess, but uh, I could, I could fathom it better and just the whole, the whole story from start to finish. And it was it afterward. It felt, I, I think maybe my expectations for my rewatch were a little bit higher than they should have been because what this is, is it's really an introduction to Sherlock Holmes and just kind of a different telling of Sherlock Holmes for kids. And, and I don't think that it should be, uh, put on a pedestal as anything more than that. And I think when you look at it through those lenses or that lens, it's more enjoyable for sure. And I feel like if I was watching this for the first time as an adult, like maybe, I mean, I, I don't know exactly like from Ben's perspective, how it was watching it for the first time. Cause I have already seen this, but, um, I think maybe I would have a different perspective on it than than I do having seen it as a kid. So I don't know. There's just a few things here and there where I'm like, oh, that was a that was a weak weaker element of the the plot and the storyline than I remember. Oh, that was actually a really fun, strong scene and and kind of back and forth. And I think I noticed that with a lot of movies I watched when I was a kid is that you are more critical as an adult and you can kind of pick things apart better. But um, that didn't that didn't change my enjoyment of the film. I really, really enjoyed it. And there were a lot of scenes that stood out to me as like, hey, that was actually kind of brilliant, fun and uh, memorable. So um, I don't know. There's there's things here and there. Uh, but but yeah. Yeah, I, I, I of course, I can't relate with this specific film being that I just watched it. But I, I definitely relate from the perspective as someone who especially during lockdown and haven't been getting out as much lately. Um, you know, going back and watching movies that I hadn't seen since I was a kid, like now going back and watching them and like, OK, you know, looking at through that critical lens that, you know, I've kind of developed as an adult, whereas, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm not a kid anymore. I'm not, I'm not just looking at things, enjoying things. I'm actually looking at, oh, okay, what is this story? What is the story about? What is the characters? How is this actually made? And it's, and it's really interesting going back and watching something because you just, 
you know, you watch things completely differently as an adult, obviously. <laughs> but, you know, it's fascinating to kind of go, is is this really as good as I remembered it? You know, is this actually, like, really great? Or did was I just a dumb kid? <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. It's fun to go into those things. I will say that I, I'm kind of glad we're doing this one first because out of all of the four movies we're watching this month, I think it might be my least favorite. Not by, like, a whole lot, but... I think I've seen all the other ones more recently than I'd seen this one last. And judging by my experience this time, I think I do like the other ones a little bit better, but I, I do really like this movie. Yeah. Yeah. I felt like this was a good one to kind of ease our way into it because some of the other ones that we're going to be talking about include the likes of, uh, you know, Atlantis mm, and personal favorite, uh, treasure planet mm-hmm. and, uh, emperor's new group. Yeah. And, so, I mean, there there are a lot of other ones out there. The Rescuers and the Rescuers Down Under are some personal favorites of mine. Um, the Brave Little Toaster franchise is part of Disney. So, I mean, there yeah. there's a lot of really great underrated Disney out there. But, I mean, if we did that story arc indefinitely, we could just go on and on and on based off of people's suggestions and stuff like that. So we had to, like, kind of narrow the field a little bit. But I felt like this was a good one to kind of kick things off because – for some of us, we'd never seen it before, and for some of us, it was like a nostalgia trip and like a return to the childhood a little bit. And for me personally, I think I got to experience some new aspects of storytelling that I really wasn't expecting to find from a 74-minute film from 1984, or 1986, rather. And yet, it includes a lot of aspects that are kind of groundbreaking, if you will. And and it, it's very interesting how subtle those things are if you're not looking for it. And some of it I noticed when I was watching. Some of it I noticed while I was reading the trivia and watching the movie at the same time. But the, the facts remain, there are actually some really, really interesting pieces of trivia that make this movie special. Can I, can I list some of those off for you guys? Yeah. Yeah. So for starters, uh, the name Basil. The name Basil as in Basil of Baker Street, is actually an homage to the longtime Sherlock Holmes live-action actor Basil Rathbone. Mm-hmm. Oh. He appeared in, like, 14 uh, iterations of Sherlock Holmes over the course of his career. And the Sherlock Holmes uh, outline character that we see, like the shadow image of Sherlock that we get in this movie, mm-hmm. is voiced by Basil Rathbone. That's I saw awesome. him in the credits, and I was like, "That's what is who is Basil Rathbone? And I, I didn't get it. Now that totally makes sense. Yeah, so Basil of, of Baker Street is an homage to Basil Rathbone, who was in this actual movie wow so that that's a that's a cool little piece of trivia um what what's another one? Oh, this i believe is one of only like two or three disney movies that takes place entirely at night yeah i, I did, i'm wow I, I was reading some of this trivia too and i thought it was very interesting i i did not realize that like it's one of those things where if you think about it, it's like, oh, yeah, I don't think I saw a single scene in the daytime. Right. And it makes sense because these are rodents and all of their activity is taking place nocturnally. That's right. so, interesting. Like, so, like, logically, everything is going to be happening at night. It's just they found a way to keep it all so 
clever and under the table that until somebody like points it out to you, you're like, oh, yeah, I didn't realize that yeah. uh, until until it actually gets pointed out to you. Um, obviously, the, the CGI with the clock tower, like we mentioned earlier, that's something that was kind of groundbreaking and experimental for this particular film. Um and then there's another one that I found really interesting. This movie actually almost got a PG rating. And the directors, this was directed by committee. There were like four or five directors for this film. I noticed that too. But the directors actually had to fight the the ratings commission and had to explain to them that this movie should stay rated G. Can you guys think of why the the ratings commission might have almost given this movie a PG rating. Um, Probably that bar scene. <laughs> yeah, the the whole song and dance routine in the bar. Yes, that's pretty. That's that's pretty pretty risque. I, I, I it's even by today's like, standards. Yes, even by today's standards. This because will... they lift their skirts and they got the the garters on their legs. Like that's <laughs> like, that's like ooh yeah you're 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 barking up that tree. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. And it, I mean, it's pretty accurate as far as like those types of saloons and the types of entertainment that the people go in there are looking for. But the, the, the directors made a appeal to the ratings commission that because it's animated rodents that are doing this song and dance routine, it is not intended to be a sexual innuendo. Mm. And so they they got off basically on a technicality. If this had been actual, like if they had animated humans to do all of this, it would have been a PG rating. But because it was animated animals and rodents that were doing it, and because the innuendos in the song are open to interpretation, it's not like a a very verbatim, word-for-word kind of explanation of what they want to do for the man. Like, it's all very vague. And so, like, the lyrics of the song and the animation prose is just, just barely vague enough to help them maintain their G rating. But they almost got a PG rating out of it. And there's, like, there's a lot of innuendos in those old cartoons. You know, you go back to Looney Tunes and there were all those jokes were, like, aimed at adults. And then, like... I was watching Toy Story again last night, and Slinky starts going off about defending Woody, and then Mr. Potato Head grabs his lips and starts pounding his his backside like butt kisser. Butt <laughs> butt kisser. And, and I didn't get that as a kid. I didn't get it. <laughs> there's there's a there's a couple of of jokes like that in in a lot of those types of franchises, and I think. I want to say in one of the next movies, there's another sequence that almost garnered it uh, a higher rating than what it had, but um, they just barely missed out uh, on there as well. Um, The other interesting thing, I don't know. uh, It depends on the listenership that we've got. I feel like there are some listeners that we've got on the program that are going to recognize this name right away. And then there are others that are going to be like, who? But (laughs) the, the lead the, the top billing cast member was longtime horror genre actor from the black and white days, Vincent Price. Mm-hmm. Ah, yes. Oh my gosh. Vincent Price has so much gravitas attached to, uh, to his name and his acting abilities. And believe it or not, he 
had had a lifelong dream of voicing a character in a Disney film, and that was achieved with the role of Radigan. Wow. That okay? Wow, Dang. that's amazing. That I, is amazing. Like somebody with as great and pronounced of a career as Vincent Price has, he had a lifelong goal of being in a Disney film, and he got to do that with the Great Mouse Detective. And that's you'd think awesome. you'd think like someone like Vincent Price would be like, oh, <laughs> I don't want to do a, a voice role in a Disney movie. That is below me. Like that was a that was a career highlight for him. Like that was a goal for him. That's crazy. Now, for those of you who haven't heard of Vincent Price before, he he's been doing he was he was doing stuff. Let me see. I'm looking at his at his at his lists. He started acting in 1938. Wow. Dang. And then and then he was he was doing stuff all the way up until the 80s when he did the voice work for this. But he was Cardinal Richelieu in 1948's The Three Musketeers. Wow. Um, let me see. Who else did he play? He was he was in a lot of variety hour type stories. He was in Son of Sinbad back in the 50s, uh, The Vagabond King, Science Fiction Theater. Michael uh, Jackson's Thriller. Really? He yeah. was the – I think he was the, the, the announcer, the voiceover, narrator. Mm-hmm. Oh, the, the, the rot inside the corpse. There you go. There you go. Yeah. Oh, you fight to stay alive. Your body starts to shiver. Yeah, that's where people are going to recognize him from the most. And I think we just found our outro music, too. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, he was he was in a lot of thriller and horror stuff in the 40s through 60s. And then he was on the Jack Benny program for about eight years. He was on the Danny Kaye show for a couple of years. He was in Batman back in the 60s, believe it or not. He Who was, did he, he play in Batman? He was a character by the name of oh, Egghead. Yeah. Egghead, yep. Egghead, wow. The old 60s Batman TV series. And then he made a lot of guest appearances on things like the Red Skelton show. Ooh, oh, I wow. love Red Skelton. Red Skelton, man. He was in several episodes of Red Skelton and a lot of his variety program. Um, but he, I think he did some stuff related to frankenstein at one point perhaps i would i would will be willing to bet he crossed paths in fact i think i've seen photos of him with like christopher lee and peter cushing i'm pretty sure he worked with those guys too let me see instant price best movies just a simple google search uh house haunted hill the last man on earth house of wax house of usher he reenacted stuff from edgar Allan poe oh my gosh the Pit and the Pendulum, The Mask of the Red Death, The Tingler, Tales of Terror, The Raven. Wow, he did he did the Fly. He did the original Fly. Really, really. For Goldblum, there was uh, Vincent Price in the Fly. And if you Google Vincent Price, Peter Cushing, Christopher Lee, like there's a ton of pictures of them together. So th- these yeah, dudes, they're, these they're dudes were buddies. Yep. were buddies. He, he did he did the Fly, and then he did the Return of the Fly. The return. <laughs> wow. How do you how do you make that come back? Goodness <laughs> gracious. <laughs> okay, here's one that uh that our 
uh, cis males are going to be interested in. He starred in a movie called Dr. Goldfoot and the Bikini Machine. Nice. <laughs> okay, I'm interested. I'm interested. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and apparently he was in Edward Scissorhands. How did? Wow. How was That's that? That's interesting. How was that possible? What but role? Yeah. I wonder. I, I'm not sure. I'm I assume to... he did a lot of voiceover, being that he kind of is iconic for thriller. Mm-hmm. Like I mm-hmm. assume he probably did a lot of voiceover because, like, you look at his. Uh, he has a he 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 passed away in '93, but he has a credit in a 2002 te- television series. So I don't know how they managed that, but uh, had, and, to, had to have taken some of his previous work and included it in something else, and then got right. got credited for it. Yeah, and you know it's funny. Like this great mouse detective was in '86, and I was like, okay, well that must have been one of the last things he did. No, there's like 15 other things after that. That he mm-hmm. did, like he worked right up until he passed away. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah. And honestly, in in my opinion, I think that Professor Radigan may be one of my favorite villains. Like, I yeah. would, I would, I would have him in the top ten at least. I think top five belongs to the likes of um, Scar and Darth Vader and yeah. people like that. But as far as sinister nature and dastardly deeds and uh, gravitas and actually succeeding in his plan for a brief moment there if Basil hadn't escaped for a brief moment there he was laying out plans for how he was going to usurp everything that was happening in Britain at the time yeah I love I love the whole idea about him like halfway through the movie they introduced the idea of like Oh, you don't call him a rat. You don't call him a rat. Yeah. And you're and then you're like, wait, he is a rat. Like he's yeah. like clearly like he's animated to be like much larger than all the other characters because he's a freaking rat. And but he doesn't want anybody to know that, and he he wants right. to keep that a secret. And you know, and the whole the thing with the cat and they, and they ring the bell dude, and the cat. The cat's dude, great, dude. He feeds the people who upset him. To a cat. That that dude straight up gotten eaten. Like seriously, he, he straight up murders people. That's like his version of having a rancor. <laughs> no. And the cat. I love the scale because the cat is massive, the and is the cat is, is a, that is a chungus of a cat. He's a big cat already. A big furry cat, and obviously one of these like big furry you know cats that's very stuck up and is just pure evil and is one of those that uh you know I, I love the whole idea of like how they animate him and all this kind of stuff and he's like they just shows up and he's like these lumbering along and it's just so terrifying to these mice mm-hmm. like if you let him down if you screw up or if you uh, call him a rat then that is basically a death sentence for you Mm-hmm. Yeah, like absolutely. How, how intimidating is that? Like, as far as the intimidation of working for this guy, that's on par with Darth Vader for me. You disappoint him, you get killed. Yes, yes, exactly. I, you, you know, and just and they're just telling the truth. They're telling the truth. They're calling him what he is. He's a rat, and he can't stand it. And I think that's one of the other cool parts about the finale of this film is. He shows his true colors the more his plan comes unraveled. And, like, the more things start to go south for him, the more rat-like he becomes. Mm-hmm, in, the, yeah. in the beginning slash middle of the film, 
he's bipedal and he's very well dressed and he he's got a lot of like flamboyance and and charisma to him but as his plans get thwarted towards the end of this film like he starts getting down on all fours a little bit more his uh his hands and paws turn more into like claws and weapons his eyes turn a little more crazed and he looks more like the rat from lady and the tramp than he does um like a, a a domesticated character that he was throughout most of the rest of the film yeah do you guys remember that rat from lady and the tramp no, I don't think I've actually ever seen Lady in the Tramp. Um, I was gonna say same. I have not seen the movie all the <laughs> way through. So that reference was completely lost on you guys. Oh my gosh! <laughs> Sorry. Okay, well, maybe we're making this a five-week long story arc instead of a four-week long, because that's that's a that's a classic that just cannot be missed. You guys, come on! Wow. But, I, but to your point about Radigan, I love how. He's, you know, he's very, he's, he's, he's better than all the other mice. Like, he's, he's so prim and proper, and he's standing on, you know, two feet, and he's got his nice suit. He's very Vincent Price. And yeah. then, by the end of it, he's running around in the clock tower, and he's, he's, like, terrifying. Because he's running around on all fours, and his clothes start tearing off. He's, like, really, like, just messed up, and he's like a, like a real rat. And it's, I, I love how they characterize him, and how they just continue to kind of pull back the layers on his character. Yeah, well, that, that's the, that's the thing is, he's probably the the deepest character, if we're being honest. Yeah, probably. like like young Olivia, she's kind of that damsel in distress. You know, gotta find her father. Um, Basil, he's he's smart and quirky, but he pretty much stays smart and quirky throughout the whole film. And Basil, you know, I I can't help but. Who does he remind you of, an actor today? Because I have an idea, and I couldn't help, I couldn't get this out of my head the entire time I was watching the movie. Basil gave me strong David Tennant vibes. Oh, really? Yeah, I I, I could see, like, if this was a modern-day movie, David Tennant would have voiced him. Yeah, I can totally see that. would have voiced him. Man, if they... If they did a Sherlock Holmes movie, I would want David Tennant to play Sherlock. He would be great. He really that would, would be, be awesome. Like, no offense to Robert Downey Jr. or Benedict Cumberbatch, but I think based on how he played the Doctor and was able to solve mysteries and save the day and things like that from from that experience, combined with the fact that he played a detective on Broadchurch, mm, like, I, yep. I, I think he would have the 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 witty nature and the the i don't know the accent and whatever else i he could totally pull off a a sherlock holmes yeah so that's that's on my that's on my wish list now uh awesome just the whatever the next season of uh sherlock should just be just inexplicably david Tennant playing the role (laughs) i'm very i'm very about that i'm very very about that um the rivalry between Basil and Radigan, I wish they had gone into that a little bit more, because it, it's very, it's it's definitely a Sherlock Moriarty type of relationship. Obviously, that's what oh, it's yeah. intended to be. But I wish that we could have been able to dive a little bit deeper into why Basil was chasing him in the first place, because mm-hmm. 
when when Olivia mentioned that her father was taken by a bat with a peg leg and all that stuff, like you saw all these light bulbs and, and connections being made by Basil, and he's like, you know what, I am going to help you after all. But it almost seemed like the way Jack Sparrow was when he found out William Turner's name, and he's like, well, Mr. Turner, I've changed my mind. I'm going to help you after all. Right. It's kind of like selfish reasoning. Right, right. Right. He's so obsessed with finding Radigan. Like, he's just mm-hmm. like, this girl's coming. I'm like, can you help me find my father? And he's like, no, 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 no. I have no time for that. Like, I have to find this guy. I'm obsessed with it. You know, he's and, – and, you know, that's the Sherlock type of thing. He's that he's obsessive. He gets, you know, caught up in the details. And, you know, he's not even paying attention to her. But as soon as she says the magic words, he's like, okay, now I'm interested because this all right. comes together. Mm-hmm. Well, that's that's part of like the Sherlock Holmes character, though, is he's kind of selfish. He's kind of a uh, I don't know. He's very much in his own interest, at least on the surface. But, you know, I mean, you'll see by the end of this movie here. And and I think, you know, just Sherlock Holmes in general, he he's got a hard outer shell and a soft inner inner core. Right. Yeah. And and what's interesting is I I think they actually bring about some of that lack of humanity better than certain Sherlock Holmes stories have done. Because, Mm -hmm. like, right after Olivia gets kidnapped from the human toy store, like, he's just very, very upset that his quarry got away and doesn't really take into consideration the fact that Dawson screwed up. And... And like it, he goes on like this little tangent almost about how much Dawson screwed up and Dawson's already beating himself up over it. You know, Mm -hmm. like he's already like pretty depressed about, you know, how things went down. And then Basil's just kind of rubbing salt in the wound, obviously, because it's a Disney movie. He catches himself and he stops a little bit, but it was very true to form of the way Sherlock Holmes had no social boundaries, didn't really care much what people thought of him, and anybody that had kind of a soft skin may have gotten hurt because of some of the words that he said. And I I feel like that portrayal was very, very accurate in that sequence. And can we also just talk about how creepy some of those toys were during that chase. Oh my goodness, yeah. Like the, <laughs> the, the the little track that they were running on and the doll that was falling down onto them and like the, the, the little the little tin band that was playing music and the jack in the box and stuff. Like, oh my gosh, Ch- children toys of that era would just freaking scar you. Yes. <laughs> yes. So creepy. And then they, you know, you add that to like, oh, the the bat is in there around and 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 sneaking around and do all the kind of stuff. Which right. I have to say, one of my favorite characters is the bat. <laughs> you know, it's, it's his whole his whole thing and how he keeps getting into trouble and he keeps screwing up, but he still manages to stay alive. He manages to survive the cat, which is great. Bidget, my foot, and... my foot, my only foot. That that voice just gets me. I love it. Did you know they had to alter his voice to make him sound like that? No, who's the voice actor? Okay, so the voice actor for Fidget is Candy Candido. And he's he's done other voice acting work before, but uh, his is usually a very um, bass-type voice. Mm. And they had mm. to speed it up and Alvin and the Chipmunks it a little bit to make him um, sound the way that he did. 
he actually did one other voice as well, and that was his true voice. You go back to the bar scene where the uh, octopus is doing the juggling act, and there's a there's a lizard that says, "Get off the stage." <laughs> that, that really really deep rumbling voice. It's like you eight legged freak. <laughs> that is Candy Candido's actual voice. Oh wow! Oh wow! That's that, amazing. That, that's what he actually sounds like. And then they had to like edit his voice a little bit to make him sound like Fidget. <laughs> That's, That's awesome. amazing. But, but yeah, um, I'm trying. I'm trying to get my get my thoughts back to that to that toy scene because yeah, I got some Toy Story four vibes a little bit. You're right. Yeah. From, Still from, haven't seen that. Oh come on, Jacob! It's I know. It's, I know. There's no excuse. It on Plus now. Yes. Like, See, you, you have no excuses anymore, right? And me, me, the biggest hypocrite of not seeing movies is, is lecturing you on not seeing a movie. <laughs> but I, I, I can't help but wonder if the, the storytellers and the animators from uh, from Toy Story 4 got some inspiration from... There's, the, it's, it's an antique store with yes. antique toys and yes. really scary toys, and there's yes. a cat in it that's yes. terrorizing them. Yes, Exactly. Exactly. Uh huh. You're getting it. Yes. <laughs> I think. I think. I think I stole your punchline there, but it just maybe, hit me. Maybe, maybe a little bit, but it's fine because you guys are catching like the same vision that I'm getting. Like this movie has an influence on things today still. Yeah. 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 As 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 dated as it may be, there are still aspects of this movie that are living on, if you will. The character of Sherlock Holmes is still a story that that wants to be told you know it's no longer just basil rathbone it's you know it's it's robert downey jr it's sherlock holmes it's basil of baker street you know there's there's all kinds of different ways to tell this story but you know i i feel like this is one that is just it's endearing and it's it's so easy to watch because it's only 74 minutes like even if it's not your cup of tea it's something that i feel like is worth watching just so that you can say that you've seen it. Yeah. It, it it's it's a classic piece of Disney Americana, which is ironic because it's set in London. But mm-hmm. it, it's just it's such a a fun watch for such a short film. I I don't know. Maybe maybe the nostalgic part of me is is getting you know swept up in it, but uh, I I like how imaginative and creative and different the storytelling is, and how they're able to achieve all of that in just over an hour. Like yeah, that yeah. all of that is just impressive to me. And you know, just the overall. I don't know. I I think this movie is really well written. I think mm-hmm. I think it's it's really well. Like you know, I think it's easy, especially. I'm sorry. I was not expecting so much music in this movie either. When when Radigan started singing, I was like, "Whoa, okay, okay, it's a musical too." Right. That's <laughs> I what didn't I thought. I'm like, that. "What other songs are in there?" And then all there is is the bar song, and then that's it. Yeah, right. it's great. It's great music. Like it's classic Disney. I just wasn't expecting it, you know, because you know, uh, yeah, I've, I'm I've watched a couple musicals lately, and like they're like 100% music, and then you watch a movie like this, it's like. You know, you go through, you know, 20, 30 minutes of it, and then all of a sudden there's a song. Yeah. yeah. 
Yep. Well, I mean, I guess you can't do as much music in a 74-minute film as you would with something that's, you know, like 90, 100 minutes, something like that. Like, this movie was made on a $14 million budget, if you can believe that. Wow. That was a lot of, probably a lot of money back in 1986. It's mm. a lot of money today. I mean, wow. yeah, it still is, but, I mean, compared to the $100 million budget or $500 million budget that we saw for certain DC movies, $14 million is is not that bad. Yeah, yeah. But as I was saying with the writing, like, I think this movie is really, like, as an adult, you watch it, go, like, that was not dumb. It wasn't, wasn't like, geared towards kids. Like, obviously, this is a family movie. It is, as I said, kind of geared towards kids, but it is pretty except, solidly written. Mouse. Yeah, apparently, yeah. They're just, they're just going, they want to, you know, appeal to everyone, I guess, and, uh... You know, I don't know. I don't know what they're. Then I think the the animators are getting a little too bored. Maybe I don't know, <laughs> but uh, it's it's smartly written. Like it's actually like it has a beginning, a middle, and end. It's really well done, and you get that whole thing. And like I, like there's one example of like when uh, Basil and Dawson when they actually make it up the pipe and into Radigan's like headquarters, mm-hmm. and they start tapping on the glass to get. Uh, Olivia out like I was I didn't expect like oh there it's a trap you know it should have been Admiral Ackbar it's a trap um but uh I didn't see that coming I that genuinely surprised me like whoa okay that was I did that was interesting like that was an interesting way to go with the story that, uh-huh. you know maybe maybe seemed obvious to other people but I, I liked it because it was actually surprising well and, and the way the way that he teased him too he's like I was expecting you 15 minutes earlier. Did you have trouble with the chemistry set, old boy? Yeah. Well, I thought that whole scene was the best scene in the movie was from right when the trap is sprung and Basil feels terrible about himself because he failed. And, like, man, how how relatable is that? Just, like, feeling so down on yourself for failing at something. That's just, like, realistic. And you don't see that depicted a whole lot. And, like, like his face in that moment was like a visual representation of how I feel a lot of the time. And I'm like, okay, I'm glad that I'm not the only one, even this, this genius uh, detective feels the same way. And, uh, and I, I liked it from that scene all the way till they escape from the trap. I, I love that whole thing from, you know, when, when they get out of the trap and, and the camera's about to go off and he's like, smile. And, uh, and <laughs> that, that whole thing is just a fun little arc in his emotion. And also it's just fun to, to watch his mind work. Well, it's funny that you mentioned that Jake, because I believe we had actually set that scene up to be tonight's quote of the night. Didn't we Ben? We did indeed. Uh, did, did you guys want to listen to that? Yeah, we can if you've got it. Yeah, Uh, I think I can pull it up. Well, then that's a good segue, and it's a little out of order, but that's okay. Uh, We'll just roll with what we've been given, and we'll um, just go ahead and and let you guys listen to tonight's quote of the night. Here we go. Basil. Basil. Oh, how could I have been so blind? We, we, we all make mistakes, but we can't let that stop us. We have Rattigan's to. Rattigan's proved he's more clever than I. He would never have walked into such an obvious trap. Oh, pull yourself together. You can stop that villain. Why? 
The record. Oh, it's finally happened. I've been outwitted. Basil, please. Beaten, duped. Made a fool of. Oh, ridiculed, belittled. That's enough! It all, Basil. The Queen's in danger. Olivia's counting on us. We're about to be horribly splatted, and all you can do is lie there feeling sorry for yourself. Well, I know you can save us, but if you've given up, then why don't we just set it off now and be done with it? We know by now the time knows how to fly. <laughs> set it off now. <laughs> set it off now? Yeah. <laughs> Yes, we, we'll set the trap off now. Basil, wait. I didn't mean that we ought to... Uh, <laughs> angle of the trajectory multiplied by the square root of an isosceles triangle. <laughs> Dividing Gutemek's principle of opposing forces in motion. What am I doing? And adjusting for the difference in equilibrium. Dawson. At the exact moment, I tell you, we must release the triggering mechanism. Get ready, Dawson. Steady. Now! The way he <laughs> catches Olivia, like, like I thought that was the thing he'd forgotten about, but then he just like <laughs> his arm and she just plump smile, click. It's like, oh my gosh! Yeah, now that's that's character development right there. Where he goes from like so feeling sorry for himself, sewing so like I've been defeated, I'm so stupid, to so confident in a matter of seconds. Like it's so yeah, satisfying. Yeah. And it's like the, he's he's oh go ahead sorry no I, I was gonna say like that gamble with that getting the catching the ball right at the exact moment with the thing coming down like that's insane <laughs> yeah well I also thought it was funny like I I'm sure he probably thought of other ways to escape but maybe he wasn't completely satisfied until he figured out a way for everything to work exactly perfectly. <laughs> <laughs> he it's does so strike me as the type that can be a little obsessive like that yeah like not only does everything have to happen like all the things have to go off and the thing gets splatted but he also has to catch olivia and the picture has to be taken at the exact right time and then he's satisfied it's so great well and the, the way that he was able to to like find a way to save the day and recognize what the plan was and then find a way to thwart it. Like as soon as he gets out of the trap, it's almost like he's become a new man again or something or or whatever. And all of a sudden he's carrying that momentum and he's not just outwitting people, but he's like out fighting people and stuff too, because when they make it to Buckingham palace, they like have to, outwit and outfight the guards and like tie them up in order to like try and help save the day and there's just there's there's a lot of moving parts during that final sequence but um i feel like that's something that we need to that we need to hold on to for for just a second here as we get close to potentially wrapping up this discussion unless you guys have more that you want to talk about from this film 
I mean, I don't think I really do. I definitely wanted to touch on the the uh, escape scene there. I thought that was fun um, mm-hmm. for sure. Probably my favorite scene. Um, it's, it's very classic Disney. Like yeah, very, as very. as far as you know, the hero figuring out a way to save the day and doing so in a way that even one of like even an elaborate. Um, what do you call those things? I've seen them a on Rube the Rube Goldberg uh, machine. Well, okay, you can you can call it that, but it's like when you do a um like when you put a marble in something and it goes through the track and it knocks over a bunch of dominoes and moves to a swing and the swing hits a basketball and the basketball goes in the hoop. Like what what is the name for that? I think that's just a Rube Goldberg machine. That's always what I've it's like a big contraption all these, you know, like moving pieces where that I've always heard Rube Goldberg. I don't even know what that is, but I've heard that's that's the that's, that's the like yeah, it's like the name for terms. anything anything really complicated like that. I, I I've never heard that term before. I guess really? I'm, I guess I'm learning something. New. I got that from a little show called Zoom on Same. PBS. Same. Oh gosh. Yeah. PBS Kids for Life. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Man, you should have heard us talking about all the stuff that we watched when we were kids before we did the pre-show oh my gosh some of the some of the book on tapes and some of the tv shows that we watched when we were kids we definitely showed um showed our true colors there for a little bit oh yeah Uh, maybe we go on a trip down memory lane sometime and and talk about some of that old school stuff one of these days yeah Um, absolutely but yeah i mean i'm thinking uh, have you guys seen the one of the, the, the Rube Goldberg machine for the squirrels that were going around this guy's backyard? I just saw that. That was amazing. Uh, I don't know if I have. Oh, yeah, my it's, gosh. it's the guy. It's the same guy. I don't know if you guys – oh, I can't find the, the, the guy's name. I will try to look it up right now. But it's the same guy that did the, the bait package with mm. the uh, – you know, with – he would like uh, people steal packages off oh, of yeah. porches. And so he created like this – you know, really elaborate package where if people stole it, that he could track it and then watch the whole thing. Call, guy's name's Mark Rober on YouTube. Okay, and he's did he did two of the glitter. It's like puts glitter and stink bombs the whole place. Like you can steal package. <laughs> it's amazing. You need to That's watch awesome. it. He the second one he did, he got uh, uh, Macaulay Culkin to help him, which was very cool. <laughs> but this most recent one was uh, his whole obstacle course for for squirrels. It was like yeah. basically like an American Ninja Warrior, but for squirrels. And they had to deal with like this elaborate thing to get nuts. It's amazing. And it is nuts. It, yeah, it was, it was, it was nuts in a, in a literal and metaphorical sense. Cause <laughs> they were, they were going across like these seesaws and mazes and, uh, these different sloped inclines that if you stood on it too long, it triggered a spring mechanism that just sprung you right off of your landing pad and just like launched you somewhere else. Um, oh, wow. like, like all of these different contraptions that led up to like this, this jackpot bird seed type of thing or, or nuts and seeds and stuff. And it had like a, a push button where you had to like push a lever in order to release some of the nuts to you. So even when that happened, it caused the squirrels to jump and they fell off the platform and they had to go back and run the course again just to get back to the food. <laughs> he like named the squirrels and like it was all in on this whole, you know, American Ninja Warrior thing. It was crazy. Wow. Yeah. It was it was really funny and, and also just kind of amusing to see what kind of crap you're willing to do when you're 
quarantined. And I was surprised, like, how, like, smart those squirrels were. Like, you know, like, they're very, like, resilient, and they were all in on this. Did I ever tell y'all my worst squirrel story? No, I don't know. Uh, the, The Christmas squirrel story? Oh, I think I've heard this one, but maybe Jake hasn't. Oh, man. I was seven or eight years old. My sister was a baby, and my brother was pretty young. And uh, we had one of those metal coverings that went over the top of our chimney so that the water wouldn't get in and like become like standing water next to the, uh, at the flue or whatever. Mm-hmm. And there was a squirrel that didn't realize there was a hole in the middle of that covering and took shelter one day um, from the rain or whatever and ended up falling down the chimney. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, no. And for a couple of days... We could hear this scratch, 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 trying to go up the chimney and escape. It would lose traction and fall back down. Thump. Scratch, 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 thump. And I was homeschooled, so I was listening to that all day, every day, for several days. Scratch, 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 thump. It was brutal. But the worst part was it was late November, early December. And that's around the time when our family's getting ready for the holidays and we've got our Christmas tree up. Oh no. If you can see where this is going, one day the thing got high enough that when it fell back down, it hit the flue, forced the door open and ran around the living room until it saw something familiar, AKA a tree (laughs) and ran (laughs) up it. Oh my gosh. And it was like a scene out of Chevy Chase's Christmas Vacation. Wow. Except we had like heirloom type ornaments that were extremely fragile and stuff. And it was was just insanity because my mom is freaking out. My brother's really young. He's freaking out. My sister's a baby. She's wailing and crying from the chaos. My mom like puts us all in the office and closes the door, runs around the house, and tries to close up all the other doors so that the animal can't get anywhere else. And she calls animal control. They come out, and they stick a waiver in her face and says, we need you to sign this before we can come in so that you don't sue the city for any damages the animal causes. Oh, boy. She's like, just get it out of my house. So she goes into the study with us, and probably like a good 10 or 15 minutes goes by. And... um the guy comes up to the study door and knocks on it and he goes, um, ma'am, I, I, I just need you to know that, um, I've had to call for backup because it's gone up the tree. And every time I reach in to grab it, it runs to the other side of the tree. (laughs) Oh my God. So we had to wait another 20 minutes for backup to come. And then they, both reached into the tree from opposite sides and it flushed it out the bottom of the tree and out the front door that they had propped open. Wow. Wow. That is that, that squirrel had the hell of a story to get back to tell. His oh, buddies. Oh, story's not over. <laughs> <laughs> of course it oh, isn't. No. <laughs> About a week later, my mom is hanging laundry in the backyard and a pecan hits her in the back of the head. <laughs> She turns around and looks up into the tree 
and there's a squirrel chittering angrily at her. Revenge. He remembered. That's amazing. <laughs> yes. And she You called the cops on me, lady. She swears to this day that that was the squirrel that was in the Christmas tree. <laughs> and it was chucking things at her to get revenge at her for all the stuff that happened to it. Probably oh was. Oh my gosh. Oh man. That's amazing. It's it's a day that none of us will ever forget. My sister has no memory of it cuz she was like a month old, maybe 2 months. Um but I was like seven or eight, and I was just learning how to do email at the time. And oh, I was okay. emailing my dad because he was at work. And it started very nice, like, hi, dad, how are you? Hope your day is going well. And then mid-sentence, like no pause, no punctuation, nothing. Just mid-sentence, I go to all caps. Help! There's a squirrel in the house! You need to come home quickly! Mom is freaking out! <laughs> Love, Zach. Because you've got to end an email, you know, politely and properly. Mm-hmm. That's got to be like one of the weirdest emails I've ever sent because there was no pauses or anything in it. Um, it Your was... poor mother, though, like she's in the house. She's got to tr- protect her three kids mm-hmm. and get the squirrel out of her house. That's just mm-hmm. oh, my God. Yep. Hilarious. <laughs> yep. You ask you ask my mom to tell that story and there will be at least a half a dozen eye rolls throughout the course of it because all she's doing is reliving that poor day. <laughs> oh. Not they got PTSD from that. Oh goodness. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. We do not like squirrels in my family because of that. <laughs> <laughs> not, I don't blame you. I don't blame uh, you. Not a fan of squirrels. Probably not a big fan of rodents either. I never had like a pet mouse or a pet rat and um you know, after this movie, that's probably a good thing. Because if I ended up with a pet rat like Radigan, I I don't think things would end very well. I know nah. I know most rodents are pretty mild mannered, but by the end of that movie, up at the clock tower, he looked pretty crazed and rabid. You know, mm-hmm. right? Well, yeah, that was that was one really good bit of animation in my mind was. Not only are you, like, experiencing the deterioration of his situation, but you're literally watching it unfold before your eyes. Yeah. Yeah, I, I love that. And I love kind of the – and it's also kind of uh, – it, it's a great, like, metaphor. Like, like uh, you know, Radigan's whole, like, process of turning into, like, a – what a – a stereotypical rat – is yeah. you know kind of goes on the back of like you know sometimes things that are bad appear kind of good like he's he's like the most well dressed the most well spoken you know person for lack of a better term in this whole you know world yeah and he like he's this this guy this suave guy and then you know you you hear you know him talking about he's kind of like mouse Le- he's like rat Lex Luthor. Like yeah. he's dressed in a suit and he's yeah. all the time talking about how he's the he's the most criminal mastermind of his age. And he's going to yeah. take over the mouse world. I I figured he was supposed to be the uh, the equivalent of Moriarty. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah. yeah. And I'm sure probably there's some crossover because, I mean, talk, you're talking about Lex Luthor, Moriarty, two characters that have been around for a very, very long time, probably influenced each other a little bit. Yeah, uh, I'm I'm sure Luther had some inspiration from Moriarty because Moriarty's at least from the 1800s, I think. Yeah, because yeah, you're yeah. you're talking about Sherlock Holmes and all these yeah. guys. Like this is stuff that's 
out of copyright. Like anybody can write yep. a Sherlock Holmes story because it's been around for you know more than a hundred years, and you know no one holds the copyright anymore. Right, right, exactly. Um, I think this is a good place to hit the pause button for a second and yeah. uh, say hello to our uh, our partners and patrons and all of that sort of stuff. When we come back, we're going to talk about the final sequence at Buckingham Palace and then give our final thoughts and our planet scores as we wrap up our review of The Great Mouse Detective. Don't go anywhere. This is IPC. IPC listeners, this is Joey Mays, intergalactic patron and promoter of my family business, Mays Sandwich Shop. We are proud to be supporting IPC and the endeavors of young, talented individuals like Zach, Ben, and Jake. Should you ever find yourself in the area of Reading, Pennsylvania, be sure to stop by Mays Sandwich Shop. Started by my grandfather in 1947, currently owned by my father and operated by my sister and me, May's Sandwich Shop has been serving delicious food to the greater Westlawn area for over 70 years. If you ever do visit, be sure to tell them IBC sent you. <laughs> From the brain that brought you the big Ben Caper, the head that made headlines in every newspaper, and wondrous things like the Tower Bridge job, that cunning display that made Londoners sob. Now comes the real tour de force. Tricky and wicked, of course. My earlier crimes were fine for their times, but now that I'm at it again. An even grimmer plot has been simmering in my great criminal brain. Even meaner, you made it. Worse than the widows and orphans you drowned. You're the worst around. Oradigan, Oradigan, the best fall behind. Oradigan, Oradigan, the world's greatest criminal mind. All right, we're back here on the IPC podcast, finishing up our discussion of the Great Mouse Detective. You're listening to this podcast wherever podcasts can be found. Our best place to find us would be on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and our host site, ipcpodcast.podbean.com. You can also find us on StarWarsUnderworld.com. We've got recent episodes available there as well. And if you want to find us on social media, you can do so by looking for IPC Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. A big thank you to our partners and patrons of the program. That's a lot of P words in there. But, I mean, we've got people like Joey and Jake and Dan and Rachel and uh, Carrie and Parker who see what we're about, and they decided to contribute financially to what we're doing, and we appreciate that a lot. If you want to learn more about how you can do that as well, just go look at ipcpodcast.podbean.com. Pod like podcast, bean like green bean, ipcpodcast.podbean.com. There's a patron button that you can click on that gives all the details about what we do in the different tiers and different levels. And hopefully you'll join us in our secret Facebook group called the Peacekeeper Core. 
that's where a lot of IPC related discussions and stuff goes on. You get some behind the scenes looks at what's going on. You get top billing on our top five programming and a whole lot more. So be sure to go and check that out. Hell yeah. Man, I got to take a breath. (laughs) (laughs) Well deserved, my friend. Well deserved. So the final sequence of this movie kind of shows you everything that's been building up to this point. You've been trailing Radigan. You've been looking at um, Mr. Flaversham, the toy maker, trying to figure out how he plays into all of this. And lo and behold, he's actually being coerced into creating a toy replica that resembles the Mouse Queen of England. And it's got a like a vocoder type of thing where you can put in your voice and it comes out sounding like her and this robot replacement of the queen names radigan uh her royal consort basically second in command if you will um what did you guys make of that being the overall plot just having a toy replace the queen and making him the the second in command was it too much was it too little you know, I, I'm I'm still a little torn on just what to make of this being how Radigan's plan plays out. Yeah, I I thought this was a part that didn't hold up as well to me just because it seemed kind of it just seemed kind of silly. You know, I mean, it's like let's make the the let's make the toy maker make a a replica of the queen, who by the way w- w- didn't really pass as the queen. I mean, it, she didn't really. The copy wasn't as convincing. Wait, wait a second. Wait a second now. I just have to ask the question here. So you're totally fine with a entire mouse society living in London, you know, living That's secretly. That you're okay with that, but like robot mouse, they're posing as the robot mouse queen. Like that's where you draw the line. Okay, I'm getting, I'm getting a picture here. If you're gonna make it seem like this could pass as the queen, at least don't make it sound like a robot. I don't know. I don't know. There were just a couple things where I was like, really, you you expect all these people to believe that this is the queen? I don't think so. Um, so uh yeah that was probably the weakest element to me but uh yeah i'm totally fine with the rat society and the the mouse society yeah i just i think this is as close as we'll get ever get to what if the british made the terminator because because that that would be you know the queen of england could be a robot um but i I liked it i had no problem with the thing i mean yeah it's silly it's silly but i I like the whole thing and just a metaphor for like you know people are like you know like i love all the mouse in the 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 mice i should say in the crowd they're like they they see this thing come out like it's obviously a robot like you can tell the voices process or whatever but like they're totally cool with it until she starts going, oh, Radigan this and Radigan that. And then they start turning on like, wait a minute, something's up here. Yep. <laughs> Which means he's already got a nasty reputation in society and nobody at this royal ball can understand why he would be named the, the royal concert. I can't help but wonder if there are some hoity-toity mice at that ball that are mm, perturbed that they were not named the Royal Consort. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, that could, par- that could also partially be a reason why it didn't seem believable to them, is because it's like, oh, I am insulted that I was not asked first, Your Majesty. How dare you? <laughs> but, oh 
my gosh. Like, here, here's, the, here's the part where I'm torn. Because if he hadn't, like, gone on this tangent list of all the things that he wanted to enact, if he had just made an appearance, graciously accepted, and then both of them left people would not be as much the wiser. They'd be like, oh, she just declared this. I guess this is happening. And then, like, the next day, during the first day of his reign, he'd be able to get rid of the queen. He'd be able to hide the robot. He'd be able to do all of these things. He bit off more than he could chew and wanted to list, like, everything at the ball. And I feel like that's where his problem was. If he had played the long game and and tried to draw it out a little bit more... I think he would have succeeded. And and the, the really unfortunate thing is, as ridiculous as all of this sounds, technically, his plan worked. Yeah. By all yeah. accounts and purposes, if Basil had died at the hands of the trap that was laid for him, and if he had just continued the way that things were, and the machine hadn't, you know, had that malfunction, then Radigan would basically be in charge of the kingdom at this point. Right. Yeah. So like his dastardly deeds, his plots and schemes, everything that he had been leading up to, it technically worked, but you know, you've got to have the hero come in and save the day at the last minute as per freaking usual on Disney films. Or, I mean, people would obviously no one can tell a robot from a real human being or a real mice mouse, I should say in this universe. So like Mm. he could have just continued to rule as the robot queen. Like, he didn't have to introduce himself, but he's got this ego that he has to stroke, yes. and he has to go out and go, oh, the queen wants me to be the yes. ultimate, he, the visor or whatever, right. and be her second-in-command, be in charge of all this. So, right. you know, it was it was his ego that was his undoing, but, you know, uh, Basil was going to get the best of him anyway. Yep, that is true. That is true. Okay, well, let's go ahead and move into final thoughts and uh, our planet scores for this film. Jake, you want to lead things off? I know you're crunched for time. Uh, sure, yep. Um, so final thoughts on the film. It was a fun rewatch. It was, uh, I mean, I really liked the voice acting. I like, I definitely like that trivia. Uh, just reading, like if you go on IMDb and read through some of the trivia, trivia, it's very interesting for sure. And, and paints a, a new light on, on the movie itself. And I, I had a really fun time rewatching it and it brought back a lot of old memories for me being a kid and um i i recommend watching it at least once just to see it because it is it is one of those uh fun disney classics i think um would i would i put it in the top 20 or even 10 uh disney movies for me like i would the other three we're going to talk about no not necessarily but that's not all, that's also not a bad thing because there are so many good ones to choose from and this is just one of them you know it's just it's one of the ones that i i will remember fondly and uh i i want to show it to my kids one day so um for my planet score i think i would give it a solid solid eight you know it's a it's a really fun uh, retelling of the Sherlock Holmes story. It's kind of a fresh take on it. And I think uh, uh, it's really, it's a really great uh, way to introduce that story to, to kids, especially. Um, so yeah, I give it a solid eight. All right. All right. Uh, ben, what about you? 
Um, like I said, I really enjoyed this one. It, it was a fun, you know, little romp through classic Disney, and 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 as I said, very shocking that I'd never seen this one before, and I never even really heard of it or like because, like like I said, I, I've been, you know, I've watched tons of Disney movies growing up. You know, I was a Disney fan. You know, from basically from birth, I've been to both Disney parks multiple times. Like, I never heard of this movie. Why is that? I don't know. Just, I guess, just, just, I don't know. It, it's, it's weird how there's, there's so many things. And I think this one is really great. And obviously, it, it hits home with a lot of people. And uh, you know, is beloved by a lot of people. You two included. Um, it's a shame that it took me you know, 28 years to find it, but <laughs> I found it and I really enjoyed it. Great cast, great story, great animation, great messages. And, you know, something you, you said, Jake, in regards to, like, introducing kind of a a classic story. We all know, everyone knows Sherlock Holmes, but the classic kind of Sherlock Holmes that we're used to is maybe not going to appeal to everyone. This puts it in a very, very, you know, for lack of a better term, edible way that, you know, it, it's digestible for kids. And, right. you know, you can, you know, you can process this and, on top of that... They watch this movie, and then you know, maybe they get a little older, and they start looking into it. They realize, you know, oh, Vincent Price is in this. You know, oh, this is based on Sherlock Holmes, which is a classic literary character. Like, you know, it's been literally one of the most iconic fictional characters of all time. And so, like, you can kind of – it's the facade of something very Disney and very, you know, whimsical, but is – it goes much deeper than that. So I think that's great. I think this is one that's, that's, I, I want to show more people now because like, Hey, I didn't realize this thing's been around since well before I was around. And you know, it's great. And it's in the same vein as so many other Disney classics. So yeah, I would give this one. Ooh, cause I gotta give it a nine out of 10. I really have very little of anything to critique about it. It's really, really great. There you go. Mm. Well, I'm. I feel kind of bad about my score for it. I'm. Actually, <laughs> I, I. I was. I guess I wasn't expecting such high praise, considering the the. I guess it felt kind of middle of the road review that we had been giving it. Like, yeah, this happened, and yeah, this happened, but oh yeah, it also isn't this, and it's also not this movie. It's also not like this. Like, I, I feel like there were some moments where maybe. Maybe we were knocking on it a little bit more than I thought or something. Never I mind. I give it a four. <laughs> no. Um, I, I think I think I, I like your characterization of it, Ben, is that there's just there's not a whole lot of it to critique. Right. I, I think conversely, though, there's just also not a whole lot of it to praise. You know, the, for, for mm-hmm. one thing, there's only 74 minutes to this film. I wish right. there was a little bit more of it. I wish we could have gone on this adventure a little bit longer and seen a little bit more. And uh, maybe some stuff ended up on the cutting room floor. Maybe it was designed to be a shorter film. I don't know. But I I wish that we got a second adventure with them or something. You know, I, I wish that it wasn't just a one-off adventure for only 74 minutes because it, it is a good story. And a good story deserves to be told and I'm glad that this one was told and I'm glad that it was told the way that it was. Um, but I mean, there are some instances where maybe the, the story feels a little dated or things are going a little bit slower than I would have expected or 
you know, maybe the, the music just didn't settle right with me. I'm not crazy about the bar scene, if I'm being honest. Like, yeah. that, uh, I, I'm especially... Yeah, probably my least favorite scene, probably, I, I'm yeah. especially not a fan of having a, a tavern wench mouse with a big bust giving <laughs> fear. <laughs> like, I'm sorry, I don't need a mouse with boobies. Just don't do that. It's not necessary. Um, so, I mean, there are some sequences like that that are just a little, uh, but overall, I did like this movie. But I'm also looking at what we've got on the horizon. Things like Atlantis, Treasure Planet, Emperor's New Groove. I know that I'm going to have a whole lot more to say about them than I'm going to have to say about this one. It's a fun trip down memory lane for me, um, but I'm also forward to the other trips that we're going to work on, which is why we started with this one instead of ending with it. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, 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 it's a good movie and it's worth watching, especially if you got Disney plus and I really like Radigan. I think, I think Radigan's probably my favorite character. I think he makes the movie honestly. Yeah. And yeah, if, it was, yeah, yeah. if it was anybody but Vincent price, I probably wouldn't have been as interested in it. Mm-hmm. His, his voice and his gravitas kind of makes the character and it kind of makes the movie um, so for those reasons I'm going to give this movie a 7 out of 10 fair enough it, fair it was enough. originally it was originally going to be like a 6 or a 6.5 but you guys' reviews of it you guys' praise of it bumped it all the way up to a 7 so congratulations yes there gotcha. you go. it happens it happens uh, so that gives us a total of uh, 24 points out of a possible 30, which means it's a, a rating of about 80 <laughs> percent among uh-huh. us. So, and I, I would like to hear from you guys in the audience not only your scores, but had you seen this one before? Had you heard of it before we talked about it mm-hmm. tonight? Because you know, obviously, some of you may be listening to this and you're like, "What is the Great Mouse Detective? I've never seen this movie." Um, maybe you go, you know, obviously most people have Disney Plus, so go watch it and and you can you can watch along with us. Um, but also, you know, is this your first time? Did you grow up watching this? Like, I'm curious. Fun fact: this podcast episode is longer than the movie. <laughs> <laughs> they usually are, unless we talk about the Lord of the Rings. <laughs> oh, all in good fun. Um. I, th- I think we've got one more thing to talk about, though. Jake, do you have time for that one more thing, or do we need to say goodnight? No, I actually do have to, to bow out, but um, thank you for uh, talking about this. This was fun, and uh, I'll see you guys next week. All right. Uh, absolutely, my friend. We'll right. s- we'll see you on the flippity-flip, buddy. And uh, if anybody wants to find Jake on social media, he's got a lot of different platforms. We will post them. Um, in the uh, the show descriptions, you can find him. He's got all kinds of different names. He's got Jake Damon in one place, Jake W. Damon in other places. And uh, what's the name of your, your new artist page again, dude? I think we lost him. <laughs> <laughs> He's gone. When he when he says goodnight, he really says goodnight. <laughs> so, uh, it's, it, it's later for him now than it is for us, so is, fair this, enough. This is true. This is true. He's on the East Coast, and we're in Central, so... Uh, Got to give him the benefit of the doubt there. He needs yeah. to sleep. He, yeah, he like he hits the end call button and he just hops into bed and it's just zzz, like he's gone. <laughs> uh, but that's Jake Damon, everybody, and uh, and we always appreciate having him on the show. Ben, I guess it's you and me for the last segment of the evening, bud. 
Yeah, let's do it. We uh, we got a little bit more to go. We got one more thing. One more. One more. Okay, no. that What is that from? I forget. Oh, well. Ladies and gents, get out your hashtags. Put them on social media because I'm sure very few of you are listening live right now. It's kind of a weird time for us to be recording live. But if you're listening on the recorded edition, then put it on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, and anything else that can carry a hashtag. It's time for another rousing edition of Hashtag BBQ Watch. Barbecue. 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 Okay, so um I had we, we, we had a very interesting discussion with Jake last week, and I'm sad that he couldn't stick around for, for this week's uh, rendition of it. We are still waiting for the results from the great cheese debate, so we're not going to give the uh, initial findings just yet. So mm-hmm. be sure to stay tuned for that. Probably next week's episode, we'll have all the final stuff uh, tallied up, but we're, we're going to have some, some numbers for that coming up soon. Um, I, I wanted to talk to you, Ben, about mm-hmm. the idea, the concept of franchised barbecue. Mm. It, it, it may be something that we've talked about before, but it's been a while, and I want to get your thoughts on it. Because around in the Texas area especially, and I'm sure this is true of other places in the South, when a barbecue place makes it up big, they obviously want to open another store, another restaurant, have you know, two, three, four more restaurants. And all of a sudden that name isn't just associated with one location. It becomes, you know, a a, a place that has multiple locations. It becomes a franchise. It becomes a chain or whatever. And I'm, I'm curious if you think that that ends up affecting the quality of the barbecue because it's being spread out through so many different places. Does franchising a barbecue restaurant end up affecting the quality of the food do you think well yeah i think it it definitely from a consistency point of view because you know it's you know if someone just goes out and just starts their own restaurant like they're putting their own style on it and no one's comparing it to anything else or just doing their own thing whereas if they're starting a franchise of a established place maybe even a a more well-known place Mm -hmm. you're gonna have those comparisons of well Obviously, and 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 with consistency, it's just one of those things in restaurants that's very iffy. Sometimes, people when they go to McDonald's, they they know what a filet fish tastes like, or or an egg McMuffin, or whatever. Like they know what that stuff tastes like. Yeah, and they're gonna be upset if it doesn't taste like the one they got the other day, even if it's a McDonald's that's across the country. Like they're all supposed to be kind of in sync with one another. People will get freaked out by that. So. With like even a smaller franchise, you're still trying to keep the consistency there, and that's one thing that I worried about. Because like from my experience, I just deal with like one place. I don't know like the mechanics of like how a franchise works out because obviously you're it's it's about building kind of on an, on brand basis and whatever trying to you know thing. And sometimes franchises work, sometimes they don't because you have to have somebody that's committed to it. And and a lot of people, unfortunately, there's a high 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 
failure rate with restaurants because oh, yeah. it's just a it's just a hard job and people go into to it going like, oh, I love cooking. Cooking's only part of it. Yeah. <laughs> Cooking's only a small part of it. Yep. You got to worry about the bookkeeping. You got to worry about the business side of it. You got to worry about you know so many things. And with barbecue, there's another layer to that because it's it's slow smoked food. Mm-hmm. It's something that's you know it's not burgers and fries. You got to you know if you're going to do it right, you've got to commit to it. And you know it, there's a whole lot of moving pieces. And so you know coupling that with you're taking something that's established name and then trying to duplicate that and and having someone else who's who knows how familiar they are with the with the the product saying I'm going to do this over here maybe they're out of state maybe they're out of the country and they want to do their own thing with it um obviously there's going to be some ups and downs there so I haven't studied it too much um where I work there's just one of them We've talked about franchising over the years, but it's, it's never really materialized in anything. Um, I would be very fascinated to see the process of that because I don't know how it works with, like, obviously someone owns the rights, quote-unquote, to the name and the food and the rub and the sauce and all that kind of stuff with barbecue. Like, it's very involved in the recipes. So how do you, like, duplicate that? And, like, how can you do like, variations? Like, what if this place serves fries and they don't? Like, how do you do that? How, how do you, like, keep it... To where it is the same place and the same food, just in a different location. Um, so it's fascinating stuff. And as I said, like I've known barbecue places in our area. One that I'm not going to say the name of, but it's 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 very famous and it's been on Food Network and a bunch of other places. They had several franchise locations, and I'm pretty sure all of them have closed at this point. They were kind of going up and up and up, and then they kind of crashed, which is unfortunate. Um, but that's just one example of like, you know, you have franchises, people kind of get, ride the wave of popularity and then sometimes it works and then, you know, and just people sometimes just don't care. (laughs) Unfortunately, they are kind of in it and then they lose the passion for it because they realize what they got themselves into is not what they signed up for. And that's the restaurant business. But, uh, a lot of moving pieces and it's very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I was just thinking about some of my favorite barbecue places just around here in the Dallas Fort Worth area and how some of them are locally owned and maybe there's like two or three restaurants in the same city under the same name or maybe it's a big franchise that's all over the state possibly all over the south and um, you know sometimes the small town stuff has like a really really good quality sometimes the the franchises have a a certain consistency to them where when you go you know exactly what you're getting yourself in for and you know sometimes that has to do with suppliers sometimes that has to do with the brand that they've built sometimes that has to do with you know where you set your bar of expectations for that place when you go into it um maybe it has to do with their specialty you know some places are known for different cuts of meat some places are known for you know, their sides, some of them are known for, you know, their their teas and desserts and their rolls and whatnot. It, mm-hmm. it just, it kind of depends on what it is you know this place for. And I was, I was hearing somebody today say, you know, you go out to this town, which is like over an hour away, and you can go to the original um, place called Hard 8 Barbecue. And uh, I guess there's like three or four of them in the Dallas area, but then there's one way out in Stephenville which is over an hour away. And he's like, mm. you can go to the original hard eight barbecue while you're on that side of town. And I don't know if the original 
means that it's going to be better. Sometimes that's the case. But it just got me thinking about, you know, franchised barbecue and whether that affects the quality or not. I think I would prefer to support local businesses, smaller barbecue businesses, just because I feel like they put a lot more effort and attention into their product because it's basically their livelihood. Like, mm -hmm. like I, I, I know just from, from eating at, at your establishment, you know, I, I went there probably like five years ago and I still rant and rave about your ribs. <laughs> like that's a regular thing for me. I'm like, yeah, these ribs are good, but they're not as good as the ones I had in Mississippi. Like, yeah, and and it also it can come down to the little things too. Like, mm. for example, like there's a taco place in my area that we that my family loves to go to, mm -hmm. but they've recently expanded and they have several locations around the area. Yeah, but we still like that original location because there's just something about it. Maybe it's not even anything you can put your finger on, but just like I like that original location. I like going to the same place and doing that. And thank God they've actually opened up recently and we've been able to get tacos like normal people nah. since the whole lockdown um but uh you know it's something like stuff like that and sometimes it's it's just familiarity people don't like new things just generally speaking they just don't like change and you, you give them the option of oh here's this new location but it's just not quite the same well, what's wrong with it i don't know it's just different i don't like it <laughs> mm -hmm. it's very true and uh if you guys ever do think of uh, franchising and branching out, please consider the Dallas, Texas area so that I can get some more of your ribs. Yeah, and see, that's that's my, been my whole point about franchising is like usually you'll have like – you'll any, – any point where like there's if – you, if you look at a large corporation or whatever and they're like huge, they're all over the country. If you go back to like where they're headquartered, there's like thousands of them. Mm -hmm. In there, like Steak and Shake, which is one of my favorite burger places. Oh yeah, they're based out of Springfield, Missouri, and there's like a thousand Steak and Shakes in Springfield, Missouri because that's where they're from. <laughs> Whataburger is the same way, dude. It was founded yeah. in Corpus Christi, Texas, and if you go to Corpus Christi, you'll find a Whataburger on basically every corner. Yep, yep, like, and, and people, like, you people, know how, you know how like every one mile or so, there's like an exit off of the highway that'll take you to a different road or whatever, like. Basically, every exit off the highway or every other exit off the highway, when you get onto the service road and you get to the light, there's a Whataburger on the corner somewhere. That's amazing. That's amazing. It's crazy. Um, but, like, going back to my point, like, it's – you always have them expanding a lot in their own area. My whole thing is, like, if you're going to expand, like, go someplace where you're not there. Yeah. Like, go to another state. Go to another, you know, city. Yep. That you know you can get into a completely different audience and yep. catch people because we have people coming in all the time. Like, oh, I'm from New York. I'm from California. I wish you'd expand out there, and so I could get your barbecue while, where I'm from because you know people coming from out of state. And you're like, yeah, but you know, also you can't control the consistency. Going back to that point right. of you can't check in on them because they're three states away. Right. Right. Well. Just know that uh, if if you ever do want to branch out, I'll help you start up a business here in Dallas. <laughs> hey, the the yeah, we'll have to remember that. Yeah, it sounds good. <laughs> oh man, well I think it's time that we uh, we perhaps call this a night. Where can the yep. people at home keep up with you on social media when we're in between episodes, dude? Well, they can find me at Ben Hart with no E on the Facebook and the Twitter and the, the Instagram. Um, I'm posting a little bit more lately, so you can go check me out. And also, you know, 
in this in this in this time of political upheaval, um, making people mad, which I always enjoy doing sometimes for some reason. Um, so uh, that's a lot of fun, and of course the Star Wars Underworld podcast weekly. Um, we're back doing normal episodes. We're gonna have a fun time talking about. Although we actually have some news to talk about this week, which is gonna be fun. And uh, and we're recording IPC a little bit early this week, so I don't know what we're gonna be talking about totally. So uh, be sure to <laughs> tune in for that. And then uh, Culture Slate, also a thing I'm involved with, doing a lot of amazing stuff, which is encompassing pretty much everything. So that's cool. That's awesome, man. I'm over on Twitter and Instagram at ZachTheVoice and Zach.TheVoice. Um, I'm also on Facebook, but haven't been posting as much over there lately. You can try and find me there, though, as well, at uh, Zach the Voice, Z-A-C-H, the Voice. Uh, football season's right around the corner, probably about two months away. They're already doing training camps and practices and stuff to try and get ready. They're trying to do it with a social distancing perspective, but I'm not sure how well they're succeeding, so we'll see how all that plans out. It's hard to it's hard to do social distancing with a contact sport. Yeah, it really is. It really is. So, uh keeping our eyes and ears open for all of that and uh, be sure to stay tuned for when those broadcasts return there may be a couple of new nuances this season that didn't happen last year so i'm excited for all of that but uh, that's still to come and uh yeah i'm gonna be here on the ipc page uh most of the time so go find us on social media there as well just search for at ipc podcast on facebook twitter and instagram yes indeed all right, dude. I'm looking forward to next week. We haven't officially decided what our next episode is going to be. It's going to be one of the three that we mentioned earlier in the program, though, and uh, we'll be doing that to continue our underrated Disney arc next week. But until then, it's time to put us to bed. This is 289 or 290? This is... That's a good question. That's a good question. I believe this is episode 289. I think so, too. I think we did 288 last week, so this should be 289. We're almost to 300 episodes. Woo! That's just... Man. That just that just blows my mind. That's so crazy. But, yeah, 289, that's what we're going to call this one, is now officially in the books. Thanks to everyone who tuned in. For the uh, now-asleep Jake Damon and for Ben Hart, I'm Zach Arnold. Thank you for tuning in. We hope that you'll tune in next week. But until that time comes around, we just want to leave you with this final thought. There's always a chance, as long as one can think. And we think we'll be really looking forward to seeing you next week right here on IPC. But until then, good night, everyone. Hi, this is Michael Jackson. And this is Vincent Price inviting you to The The Thriller. And 
whosoever shall be found without the soul for getting down must stand and face the hounds of hell and rot inside a corpse's shell.
night hour is close at hand. Creatures crawl in search of blood to terrorize your neighborhood. And whosoever shall be found without the soul for getting down must stand and face the hounds of hell and rot inside a corpse's shell. Ha, 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 ha.